Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth, or maybe I should say especially even overtime. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scuzz. My blood pressure is a million points high. Scouspo. I really shouldn't mess with the intro with like that, but, uh, you know, it seems like uh, Cats have been playing uh, really well into overtime and definitely uh, regaining their Cardiac Cats uh, moniker. Um, Feels like 2008 all over again. Yeah, seriously, right? <laughs> four overtimes in two weeks. In No, four overtimes in eight days. Um <clears throat> so I so well, I gotta tell a little. Well, I mean, I guess, but two two games going to overtime. Oh, I'm just four saying periods four of overtime. overtime periods. I know, I know, but it does it does it re- does it really count that no, way? No, no, it, it certainly doesn't. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying it was some craziness. So I gotta tell a quick story here. Uh, I was in Galena, Illinois, with my family this weekend, and. <clears throat> was watching the game from a bed and breakfast, but we had a 5.30 dinner reservation because there was a big Halloween parade we had to see shortly thereafter. And I stayed as long as I possibly could. And the minute Justin Jackson threw that touchdown pass to put us up 16, 17-10 with, I think, what, like six minutes and change left in the game, I finally said, all right, we're out of here, and followed the entire rest of the game on GameCast on my Whoa. phone. Not video, mind you. Gamecast. Play by excruciating play. Uh, all throughout dinner. Um, and it was it was absolute torture right up until when we won. So uh, I, f- I feel like I earned this one. I was on, I was on dad duty. Um, and so my kids got to watch a lot more Northwestern football than anticipated. And I definitely dropped one giant bullshit in front of them. Uh, when Michigan State scored their game tying touchdown, yes, which I immediately did, or regretted, did, but or didn't score it as the case Ugh. may be. So yes. I was freezing my butt off in the stadium, and uh, from vantage point of our seats, and I, I guess we'll let's let's dive right in uh, with that play because you know I, there was definitely a lot of uh, a lot of back and forth on that. From where I sat, couldn't tell anything whatsoever. I mean, it sure seemed like. He, he got it and then but looking at the replay on the jumbotron which isn't really all that jumbo for everyone who knows uh ryan field um it looked like the bobble but they kept focusing on the toes it was really hard to tell in the stadium what was going on i watched that play a million times because i was live at home and they replayed it a million times and so what happened is he he did not catch it on the initial no no he, he definitely he definitely juggled yeah he i mean and and i don't like juggle like juggle's not the right word like he caught it it fell out of his hands and as he's falling he caught it again i i definitely think he 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 captured the ball between his hands and did not use the ground to aid the catch i I don't think i don't think there's a a question about that was there yeah well well, they were that's what they were debating on the broadcast really was was whether or not he caught it the the whole thing for me was about whether he was in bounds or not. And at the time that he grasped the ball, his arms were lying on the ground out of bounds. And I think if his knees had still been in bounds, it would have been okay. But his knees had come up off the ground. He was so clearly out of bounds but, on that. But um, where were his toes? I, th- I think that's what... Uh, they were up in the air. No, okay. his toes were up in the air at that stage. So so on the broadcast, they were talking about, oh, he's, his toes are, are you know... And, he, and you only need one foot in college, right? One foot, one knee, one elbow, whatever. Um, so he had a foot planted when he first made contact with the ball, but then he juggled it. And that's what they kept discussing on the broadcast. And then they saw that he completed the catch before he hit the ground. What they did not notice was that his knees came off the ground and he was essentially lying out of bounds and not touching anywhere in bounds at the time that he finally possessed the ball. So first of all, I want to stress that Again, I found out the specifics of all of these plays well after the fact. Uh, as I was watching, it just said, touchdown, Michigan State. Uh, <laughs> when I went back and watched it, I was very mad because I did not believe that was a touchdown. But the one the one giant caveat is that was not a third or fourth down play. Yeah, true, true, true. And 
Brian Lewerke played out of his flipping mind in this game and most likely would have gotten a touchdown, you know, a few plays later. Um, I think that, to me, is, is a good a place to start as well, any. Well, I, I, I because... just want to make one last point on, on that, uh, on that sure. catch. I think what ended up happening is, you know, they when they said the play call, the play stands as called, uh, which tells yep. me if they had called it incomplete on the field, it would have stayed incomplete. There wasn't enough, uh, wasn't absolute perfect sight lines, or they, they didn't exactly capture it. So without a shadow of a doubt, it, it was in. I mean, that that's the only thing I can take away from that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's probably true. The one thing I'll add is that, um, they probably need to work on like the night vision of their cameras in these kind of like outside of ABC prime games, because the, um, the, the, the motion capture was not particularly clear. Well, and you know, not having permanent lights at Ryan field, I'm sure, you know, yeah, that doesn't, doesn't help, help. you know, it's always a little bit dimmer, uh, for those night games. Hey, Hey Jim. Get it, get that, get that fixed, please. Yeah, a- after they <laughs> rebuild the basketball stadium, I'm sure that that's next on the list. Uh, but yeah, Brian Lewerke, 39 for 57, 445 yards, four touchdowns, and the one game-ending interception. Um, it's and, and the cra- the crazy thing is, he that could have been even more. I mean, he overthrew some wide-open receivers that would have been touchdowns. And that's the book on Lewerke, right? Because you watch this guy and you're like, if this guy hit all of his targets, he's Baker Mayfield. His mobility is amazing. Uh, His pocket presence is great. And if he didn't have some of the accuracy issues, and let's be honest, I mean, he didn't have too many accuracy issues in this game. He missed a couple important long bombs, but he also threw four touchdowns and no interceptions up until the last play of the game. I mean, he is a slippery SOB. And when he is locating passes, he's darn hard to deal with. I am glad that he's out of our system. I mean, we played McSorley this year too, and I thought he, you know, he out McSorley McSorley for sure. Um, and I that mean, was I, I, I'm going to quibble a little bit just because it was uh, it was so lopsided towards the end of the game. I mean, he was really good in the first quarter. And I thought I thought Michigan State kind of shocked Northwestern a little bit and was just you know physically dominant in that first quarter. Our line couldn't get anywhere close to him, but in the second quarter, now granted we possessed the ball quite a bit and we um, you know had a couple of key stops, but our D line started doing things and you know we, yeah yeah we there were some of those long those long balls that there were receivers that were open that could have caught them, but. I thought the defense did a great job adjusting, matching Michigan State's physicality. The problem is that by the time the, the last drive occurred, in which they you know tied the game, and then overtime, the defensive line was totally gassed. And, and frankly, both defensive lines were totally gassed. I mean, that's why it was such an offensive onslaught in overtime. Like nobody could generate any sort of pass rush anymore. Yeah, I mean, let, let's let's not forget uh, they only had two touchdown drives in regulation: the first drive of the game and the last drive of the game. Sure, but uh, to say that Brian Lewerke was the only thing Michigan State had going for them in this game would be a gross understatement. L.J. Scott gained 17 yards. He was the leading running back for Michigan State in this game. Uh, Lewerke accounted for 485 yards of offense. Um, And what I think players not named Lewerke accounted for maybe 50 yards. Um, I mean, he was... I mean, and I say this to credit of us. I mean, you're right. Our defense, particularly the defensive line, and of course, Patty Fisher, were just dialed in. And I think if it wasn't for Lewerke just playing as good of a game as he's ever played, you know, that was, you know, that's that's all that kept them in the game. On on the flip side, um, you've got Clayton Thorson, who 33 or 48, 356, two touchdowns, uh, the one rushing touchdown. And of course, the perfect passer rating of Justin Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> that I, uh, was such so a I, duck that he threw, and but it was it was, it was so pretty. It was a duck, but you know what? It was an awesome play call. Oh, it was, it was uh, huge. Obviously, it's something that they had worked up. They they used it in what I thought was a fantastic spot to call that play. We've we've seen weirdness on trick plays before where. You know, we get we get inside the red zone and then run like a weird reverse, and suddenly we're outside of the red zone. 
Um, that was that was a good play call at the right time. And you know, there were some people on Twitter complaining about you know how much of a duck it was, and oh, I can't believe we let him throw it, and yada yada yada. But when you have a six five receiver. <laughs> Six four, I guess Skoranek is listed at. Like you use him in the red zone, and what a what a brilliant way to use him and to just throw a ball uh, up where he could get it, and nobody else could could stop it. So, um, big he was big wide kudos. Open too. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean he, yeah, he got hit like right as the ball, you know. Arrived, right, but I mean but, that only, but that only looked in the initial. I mean, the wide the the cornerback was completely burned and was just running yeah. blind and yeah, trying it, to read Skoranek. I mean, it, that could have been pass interference. It could have been like a couple of different things. I mean it. It was a great play call. The corner did not have a chance to like turn around and you know box him out and jump up and make a play on the ball, a hundred percent. But I thought you know the game plan for this game was really smart. It was essentially exactly what we did against Iowa. To my eye, um, we we ran a lot of underneath crossing routes. We ran a lot of slants. Um, you know, get fast plays that uh, Thorson would be able to read a, a couple of receivers and deliver the ball ahead of the rush, you know, play play to our strengths in that space. I thought Flynn Nagel had the best game that he's had in, in probably two and a half years. Um, you saw Riley Lees getting involved. Uh, Jackson was, you know, again, in the, in the first half, we really targeted Jackson as a receiver. We had a lot of uh, motion or, or him going out on, on passing routes. Just like against Iowa, we, you know, we did not try to establish the run early. We tried to establish the short pass early. And that, to me, that is the bread and butter that has made this Northwestern offense good for the last 15 years, is when we establish that short pass, it opens everything else up. And it addresses our primary weakness, which is offensive line and holding our blocks. So uh, kudos to McCall, kudos to, to Thorson and the receivers. Uh, everyone did a really nice job. Uh, setting that up, and and I think that set the table. I think for the whole game. Yeah, un- unfortunately, the the rushing game didn't really come together. I mean, Jackson seventeen carries, forty four yards. Jeremy Larkin three for fourteen. Uh, Thorson seven for fourteen. So you know, but but when you're going against a dominant linebacker like like Joe Bacci, I, I mean, I'm okay with yeah, that. Yeah, no, right? I, like, absolutely. That's... I mean, it, it's just you know, we, the past couple weeks, you know, we've seen a drop in. In rushing numbers, but like you said, short passes are exactly the same thing as runs, right? I mean, to me, I just Justin Jackson getting touches, and if that means short passes, that's absolutely fine with me. Um, I think <clears throat> it's funny. I said last week, I said I don't necessarily think we can be a good running team, but I think week to week we can be a better running team than the other running team. And and somehow we managed to do that, even with Justin Jackson gaining 44 yards. Um, there, I mean, Lewerke, who again was kind of incredible in this game, uh, had 40 yards. But I mean, that's I don't really consider that a rushing game. They had, I think, Daryl Stewart gained what two 27 yards on reverses, and their leading running back gained 17 yards. So. Justin Jackson was by far the top running back on the day, even though he only gained 2.4 yards a carry. I, but I, I, it's really it's so important to remember that that was by design because against oh, Iowa, for sure. I guess no, Iowa I, in the first half, and again it's because we thought that Josie Jewell would be playing. Mm-hmm. We we didn't run with Jackson because Jewell was just going to shut it down. In the second half, we adjusted. Jackson ends up with 93 yards in this game. With Bocce out there, we we schemed around him. This was this was such a smart offensive approach, and I just I don't want that to go uh, unfocused on. The, so the other thing too, I you're right, and I it's definitely true too. Clayton Thorson is a guy whose body language is pretty easy to read, and he had it from the get go tonight. He had, I mean, tonight from on Saturday, um, his wide receivers had a couple drops early on. And I think Clayton was a little frustrated, but he just had that I'm dealing tonight feeling about him. And you could just tell where he's like, I'm I'm just good to go tonight. I've got it. I'm locating all my passes. He was always trying to go fast, um, does, really does it, animated and vocal on the sideline. He just was he was, was just good to go. Does, does it feel like he's kind of gone back to a very um, uh, fundamental approach to quarterback? Because you, you can see him in the pocket like – Almost, almost like he's in a in a pocket drill in practice, like turning his body as he does his reads, you know, with with kind of keeping his feet moving. Um, I, I feel like you don't often see quarterbacks executing it 
like that in a game like they would in practice when they go through the motions, but it feels like he's almost kind of gone back to basics to make sure he doesn't lock onto a receiver and that he's getting to his second, third, fourth read. One thing that, um, you know, I noticed in the stands and I was watching, you know, watching with our other friend, Eric, uh, who you know, was, was in the stands with me, um, you know, something that he wasn't pulling the ball down and running. I mean, there were a couple times where it looked like he could have absolutely just tucked it down and and run for the first down and, and gotten the yards, but he wasn't. Um, and I, we were a little frustrated at the time just because we saw, yes, you have this. Why don't you take it? But then he just had like a little three yard flip to Jackson, who ended up breaking like a nice long run. Uh, so yeah, it worked out. So I was like, love the result, didn't love the the play call. But you know, it, it's interesting that you know it, as he's kind of reverted back to basics as you say he's taken out of his game that tuck it down and run mentality well i i don't know that he ever really had that mentality i think that's thorson's achilles heel i believe is is his read option instincts are not usually that great and his tucking and run instincts are not usually that great and which you know for a guy whose top speed is fantastic is is a shortcoming but the upside is He's built like a uh, prototypical pocket passer. And when he's got that part of his game going, you know, you you can deal with uh, not having the rest of it. And I think it's funny, too, if you watch some of the clips of the post game, uh, Fitz was really, you know, kind of heaping accolades on the offensive line. And that goes to what Scuzz is saying. I think it's it's good that against top defenses – we're not forcing the wrong things and being like, hey, you know, if you guys have the pass blocking going, then that's what we're going to dance with. And if you keep Thornton, uh, Thorson's jersey clean and he was only sacked one time um, and was really able to kind of do what he needed to do out there, um, then I think, you know, they deserve those kudos. I think if you look at the <clears throat> the pass to Flynn Nagel uh, to score the final touchdown in overtime um, – that play, even though it was a slant route, was sort of a slant rub route, and it was a it took a little while to develop, because I think you know Nagel was coming shallow across the across the field, but we were running a little bit of a rub route and waiting for that rub route to get Nagel a little bit of extra separation, and that took Justin Jackson picking up a man, and it took the offensive line all holding their blocks, and they did it. They gave Thorson exactly the time he needed to deliver the ball, and I think that's the kind of thing that they were really effective at all night. This was the third game in a row where pass pro was really, really good. Um, some of that certainly is the play calling, and we talked about that a bit um, going into the Iowa game. Some of it, too, again, we went back to the five, the, the, the guys that we presumed would be starters at four positions coming into the season based on how the Cats finished last, last year. And uh, I said during the game that, you know, again, why we pissed around for five weeks trying to, quote, find our best five. I don't know why we did that. It's it. I, you know, I don't, I don't know that this group of five would have beaten Penn State or Wisconsin, um, or even Duke for that matter. But it just, it just, it's just galling that we kind of went through that with the question uh, at hand. So, um, the the other, the other component is, you know, we talked earlier about like the defensive lines just being gassed, and yeah, Thorson had a heck of a lot more time to throw the ball in OT than he did at any point during the first three quarters. Uh, so what, what's crazy is that you know in overtime, just kind of the way it works, it seems like you know the defense once you know once you, if you give up the tying score, you're right back out there. So you know it, just the the way overtime ebbs and flows, you know it, it really was interesting to watch kind of the defense collapse up until that very last drive that Michigan State had. I can't believe we've gone this far into the podcast without talking about uh, the final play of the game. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. Gaziano making a great play, coming around the end, just completely taking the ball out of Lewerke's hands, you know, sitting there in the stadium watching it. I'm we're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then I see there was no one there. Lewerke goes, picks it up, rolls out to the left, and at which point every Northwestern fan had, you know, collective apoplexy, petrifying terror, soiled themselves. I mean, you you name it. We were all thinking the worst. Yes, until he decided to throw completely across the field. And once he lobbed that all the way across the field, I looked at where where it was going. There were three catch receivers. 
or three catch defenders and one Michigan State receiver. I'm like, he just threw this up for grabs. And Nate Hall, with 25 stitches in his right hand uh, from a cut he got earlier in the game, goes up and makes a great interception, just kind of high-pointing that. And uh, what a finish. Unbelievable play. And again, I just saw it as interception (laughs) when I was watching it and then found out all the details later uh, from Sammy. But I, to me, so awesome interception by Nate Hall. But to me, it starts with Gaziano, um, who hilariously has a sack in this game and also a forced fumble in this game of Lewerke, but doesn't get credit for a second sack, which I think is kind of hysterical. Like, I understand how technically that's true. I just think it's really weird that a guy who forces a fumble of the quarterback on one play and gets a sack on another play doesn't get two sacks. But I believe... The moment that ball went bouncing, I give Lewerke all the credit for picking it up. Um, but I think the moment he picked that ball up, his brain had completely short-circuited. I don't think he had any perception of um, where where routes were, what the play was at that point. Um, and, and at the same time, I think he was kind of operating on the autopilot of someone who'd thrown for 440 yards in this game and just you know, just his, his unconscious, his id took over and he just launched it into the end zone across field, which of course is a giant no, no, but he he probably assumed that coverage was broken. Just like all of us assumed that and thought, Oh God. Um, but I think the biggest mistake he made was forgetting it was second down. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. He could have thrown that away. Oh, oh for sure. No, you, you throw, and you that's throw that to I, the stands and you come back on third down and, and try that again. And again, that's why I give Gaz so much credit is the moment he stripped that ball, Lewerke's brain went out the window, even after he picked it up. And I think, and of course, like I'm not taking away from Hall who made an awesome play, great coverage, great interception. Um, but Gaz, since he's what, I think second or third in the Big Ten in sacks and first in, in solo sacks right now in the conference, uh, just throwing a little extra kudos his way. Yeah, I mean, that. What? wow, just... The whole game, great defense. I mean, defensive struggle throughout. Uh, obviously, overtime scores inflate, and you know it, it doesn't show as you know much of a as a struggle as it was throughout uh, regulation. Um, it, it was weird sitting there in overtime. I had this weird kind of serenity that you know, had we lost that game, I wouldn't have been devastated. Right, because it was like we did everything we possibly could to win this game, and then we did, and it was great. But I, I wasn't freaking out. It was just sort of this serene excitement. So that that was that was odd that I, I noticed. I made note of that as I was walking back to the car after the game. Did you feel that way last week in overtime against? Absolutely Iowa? not. No, I, I, I was. Agree, I agree with you entirely on both calls. Yeah, I was freaking out against Iowa. But uh, especially because we because we handed a minute forty back at the end of the Iowa game, and only twenty five seconds against Michigan State. I just so a big part of me just breathing a huge sigh of relief is, and we've talked about this before. The mobile quarterbacks are just the worst. <laughs> the, this the guys, is... the the guys that are shifty with the pocket presence to move around back there. I just. I'm just so glad we got past a Lewerke performance like this and can get back to, to to some slow guys. Hey, guess what? Next week we're essentially trading Tommy Armstrong for uh, Tanner Lee. Oh my oh. goodness! I'm so excited. <laughs> Sweet Jesus! Uh, b- before before we start talking about the team I love to hate uh, more than anything else, uh, we got to go to the Westlaw Pirates uh, uh, mailbag. We got an email tonight from uh, from Dick uh, from Rancho Santa Fe, California. Uh, wanted to ask us about, um, he'd heard that uh, Ted Albrecht on the WGN uh, pregame show mentioned that there had been some problems in the locker room that were cleared up after the Penn State game, and if we could shed any light on that. And all, he was also asking about uh, what was going on with Garrett Dickerson. Um, to, to hit the Dickerson question first, he's hurt. I mean, he got hurt early, and normally you would expect him to, to miss a few games, but he has fought through that injury and been out as much as he possibly can. It seems to me right. I think he's just got the classic example of an injury that you can play through 
at a diminished capacity and he's out there playing his darndest and he has to sit out plays and he gets banged up and he's just dealing with it all the time. I mean, watching him, you know, waddle those 21 yards on that, you know, that pass that he caught, you just look at him and you're like, oh man, he's just on a bum wheel. I mean, he's doing everything he can out there. And I think, and obviously, I mean, he's still a great blocker and he's got that physical presence. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's as simple as it is. I think he's just hurt all the time. For the, for the record, I think you meant hobble, not waddle, but, um, <laughs> it was I, a little bit of a, it was a little bit of a duck walk. I don't mean to sell the guy <laughs> short. He's, it's just obvious. I mean, he's, he's just, he caught a pass that was just wide open and, you know, was caught by three guys. I mean, I, again, I don't want this to sound negative. He's just out there playing on one leg. Yeah, he's, and he's, I think, he's not at a hundred percent. Um, right. But we have to give some huge kudos, Cameron Green. Oh, he's with a massive oh, game, huge. Oh game. my goodness, huge game. I, well, and and Michigan State clearly had no idea who he was and completely forgot to cover him on a number of plays, but um, including the two point conversion. Just, uh, well, I I mean, he just he did such a great job um, out there in in <clears> relief <throat> of of Dickerson, both blocking and then becoming a receiving threat. And this is you know. This is the benefit you get when you convert uh, a receiver to tight end. You know, Dickerson's a converted, I think, defensive end um, in terms of what he played in, in high school. He played on the offensive side as well. He's a, he was a, a two-way player. But um, with Green, it was a guy that we brought in as a wide out. He, I think I think his, maybe it was his, his freshman year. It might have been after his redshirt year that he, he transitioned to super back. But um, the guy certainly still has it on the receiving end. And I was so glad he caught the two-point conversion after he dropped what – um, what would have been uh, probably the you know ultimately the game winning touchdown uh, a couple plays earlier, uh, just you know a, a spectacular game from him and I, you know I think Dickerson's graduating this year we're going to be in good hands with with Cam Green going forward for sure I've said this before and I'll say it again never forget that Cam Green was the best player on the best team in the state of Illinois three years ago and it's funny. If you watch this week's episode of The Foundation, which, first of all, watch this week's episode of The Foundation, uh, it has both the uh, Iowa game and the Michigan State game in it, and it's fantastic. But uh, he gives Jim Phillips a giant bear hug after the game. And I think it's, you know, it's one thing to remember. It's, you know, it's worth remembering. Cam Green has a relationship with this program that predates his enrolling at Northwestern by several years. He's local. Um, I think he probably lives 15 minutes away from campus and he's just a guy who was a fantastic player in the state of Illinois. Northwestern was always going to be his top choice. He's known the school forever and it's just awesome to see a guy like that blossoming. Uh, but as to the, the first point of, of Dick's email, um, I, that's literally the first I've heard about problems in the locker room. Um, you know, I I know nothing about it. And I, I guess we can we can make some guesses and probably some educated guesses, but uh, yeah, unless you guys have heard something, I haven't. No, I mean I haven't I haven't heard anything, and and you know that locker room stuff is kind of hard to to ferret out. Who knows what what Ted's you know referring to? You can you can guess that if fans are really upset about coaches and feeling like the team wasn't prepared for games that presumably players might be similarly upset um if i were to guess at anything you know the the one thing that changed after the penn state game was the official starting lineup on the offensive line was the you know rotational tendencies on the offensive line and i just wonder if there was some frustration with the fact that we were trying to play blake hans at guard uh after he had been a um tackle you know all of last season the fact that um, we had a guy, Jared Thomas, playing out at tackle and uh, J.B. Butler, who had come in last season and helped solidify that line in the back half of the year, was, uh, you know, in a backup role. And who knows what kind of, you know, injuries or practice tendencies. I mean, there's so much about the way a football team operates that none of us get to see from the outside. But if there's anything I would guess... Um, I want. I I really wonder. I wondered it at the time, and I will be wondering it all year. If going back to, you know, the presumed starting five of of Hans Butler North um, and Doles uh, from from left to right, you know, helped 
helped mollify some of those those concerns or some of those frustrations that might have been bubbling uh, amongst the players in the locker room. And of course, hanging above all that is the simple thing of you know being two and three and yeah. getting yeah. getting playing a couple good teams and taking it on the chin. What's the name and of Gary Seeger's uh, podcast? Winning cures everything. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, I mean, I think you know, I mean, I'm I'm sure that things you know that it was never a toxic locker room or anything like that. But I'm sure no one's happy when you're in a situation like that, and I'm sure everyone's feeling much much better now. I mean, the, the one other thing that we can, you know, guess at potentially is that Penn State, the Penn State game was the first game that there was a, the, a potential for players to, to kneel or demonstrate during the national anthem. Um, I really haven't been paying attention. I don't know if anybody has chosen to do that, uh, but it's, it's possible there's been some discussion about that in the locker room as well. True. The one other thing, the one final thing I, I want to mention because we haven't mentioned it yet, we haven't mentioned him yet before we get off of this game is Patty Fisher. 19 oh, tackle, boy. 19 tackles and two forced well, fumbles. Well, tw- 21 Fi- tackles if you ask Fitz. That's right, se- that's right. 17 according to ESPN. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Northwestern seems to kind of have split the difference. But either way, R- Patty Fisher narrowly is third in the conference in tackles right now. I think behind Josie Jewell and I think Michigan's, I mean, a Minnesota's linebacker except Patty Fisher didn't play a game and a half because of that targeting penalty. And he's still he's still narrowly third in the conference in tackles and oh yeah, he's a freshman. Feel good about like the reigning defensive player of the week in the Big 10. The fact that he's a redshirt freshman is really impressive because he has he has been really really good this year. We all, you know, we all saw him and Anthony Walker's empty shoes, and we were worried. Um, we were hopeful, but we were worried. And he has uh, he has really performed. And the, the the fact that he's got a couple more years um, to grow in this role is just spectacular uh, for this defense and for for Fisher himself. So this weekend, uh, cats jump on the plane, fly out to uh, to Lincoln, Nebraska, to take on the Cornhuskers. A team that you know somehow is four and four, uh, second in the big, tied for second in the Big Ten West. A team whose athletic director is publicly uh, fawning over Courting. over UCF's head coach Scott Frost, former Nebraska pl- uh, player for sure, but uh, just completely blatantly saying, "Please come to Nebraska." Mike Riley still has his still has his office. Still has his job, uh, but uh, presumably not for much longer. Um, wow, yeah, Nebraska needed a, a last-second comeback to to beat Purdue on the road. A uh, Purdue team that's kind of uh, somewhat imploded a little bit, but uh, whew, they, their defense is downright awful. And uh, Tanner Lee yeah, has had a cup has gotten a little bit better, but. As terrible as he was in September, you know, any improvement is going to be market improvement. Sky team, dust off your gloves because they're going to – he takes so many chances. There were so many throws in the – I think I watched most of the fourth quarter of that of that Purdue game. There are so many throws that are real close where, like, he is – he tries to thread needles and hit windows that are very, very small. And, you know, power to him for having the balls and the confidence to do it, especially, you know, double digit <laughs> interceptions into the year already. So I, um, I, I, you're, you're being very glass half full. Tanner, Tanner Lee's family ap- appreciates you phrasing his decision <laughs> using terms like balls and confidence. <laughs> hey, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to cut the guy a little bit of slack here, um, but Sky Team like uh, Godwin had a couple of near picks against Michigan State. You know, one where um, it was it was just like an inch too high for him and and popped out of his hands. But my goodness, guys, you're gonna have some real opportunities against this Nebraska team. And by the way, Gaztown, have yourself a day, buddy. Because Nebraska oh. has a no tackles oh. and b Tanner Lee is totally immobile. Um, and I can't Nebraska's, wait for our defense to tee off against these guys. They just lost their center too. Yes. I'm 
I'm apoplectic. Nebraska opened the week, and I confess to not having checked, but they opened the week as a favorite. Still is. In most in most books. Still, still a one-point favorite. Uh, on the basis of what? They had a, they have a one-point win over Purdue on the heels of getting massacred uh, two weeks in a row by Wisconsin and Ohio State. And then, congratulations, relatively narrow wins over Rutgers and Illinois. I just... What has this team shown? I, I mean, I they're still definitely uh, in play to be second worst team in the Big Ten. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of football left to play. Illinois clearly won, and maybe Purdue is tailing off now. But I mean, I just it's unclear to me what, if anything, Nebraska does well. Um, and remember, they lost at Oregon to start the season. Oregon's not a good football team this year. Um, and they've got that NIU loss. Well, and then, or- Oregon was a lot better when they still had um, Bear at quarterback or Herbert. I never know which it is. True. But, I mean, Oregon put up 42 points on the Huskers. And, I mean, black shirts, this unit is not. No, their defense is like bottom of the barrel in the Big Ten. And their offense is, you know, they're inefficient. I mean, so T- Tanner Lee is, you know, 56% completion. Um 15 TDs and 10 picks as I mentioned like I their running game is okay you know they're averaging close to four a carry divine a Zigbo Mikhail Wilbon like these are names we've talked about in years past nobody's really established themselves um where they do have some pop is their receiver core Stanley Morgan Jr. has emerged uh, this year is their top wideout. We know about uh, Pearson L, who's the who's the who's the burner, and then they got this young dude JD Spielman, um, who's a who's a slot guy. I saw the inside in you guys compare him to Westercamp as a slot guy that used to terrorize Northwestern, which um, I don't think that's a very accurate comparison, given that Westercamp was you know six foot and they tended to just throw to him downfield against us. But um, the the major difference, like we have struggled with Nebraska for three years straight, it's because Tommy Armstrong was a true dual-threat QB, and that is the thing that gives our defense the most trouble, as previously discussed. And right. against this team, we can we can play like we played against Iowa on defense and shut them down. And on the opposite side, they are a Rutgers-quality defense. I, I'm just... I... I hate I don't want to put the cart before the horse and I don't want to just like get out in front of this and get you know get too full of ourselves and I just Nebraska's really bad. I mean they narrowly beat Purdue by one. That's definitely their best win of the season, even better than Arkansas State Rutgers in Illinois. Uh and they're and I mean so they could easily be 3 and 5 right now. And the the program is just in shambles. As Sammy said, their AD is practically openly recruiting another coach in the middle of the season while they still have Mike Riley. Um, and th- all the ways that they're good were equipped to deal with defensively. And offensively, I mean, just after having in four straight games dealt with Wisconsin's defense, Penn State's defense, Iowa's defense, and Michigan State's de- well, Maryland too. But I mean, that's I guess I kind of made my point indirectly. If you want to look at, at what you kind of expect for an offensive output, just look at the Maryland game cuz Nebraska's defense is very similar to that unit. Uh I just I and I just playing in Lincoln right now with that toxic environment, you know, if things go south you know this, that student section is not above chanting Scott Frost's name if if things don't go their way. Um, it's I not really like hope they're... we hear them chant Scott Frost's name on Saturday. Yeah. It's not like they're playing with a big home field advantage right now. Um, and yeah, I mean they were at home for those Wisconsin and Ohio State shellackings. So I, I just this game just sets up really well for us. Why Vegas doesn't see that, I have no idea, but I'm feeling good. Well, I just I expect our D to play a lot of zone um, to you know to to negate a little bit of the of the speed and the physical advantage they have in their receiver core, and to um, to force Lee to beat us in that space. You know, like their guys are fast enough they can certainly beat us in man coverage. Um, the zone's going to make him you know think 
uh, for a couple more seconds, and hopefully that gives time to, to Gaztown and the other defensive linemen to, to get to him and disrupt him. Um, I just – I Scuzz model has us favored by um, somewhere between 3 and 13 points, um, depending on which uh, – which kind of mechanism I use, how much of how much of last year to incorporate in the rankings. Um, and I just like that two-point, like favoring Nebraska in this game just seems really weird, unless you somehow think they turned a corner against Purdue, which, I mean, you said they're implo- like Purdue's imploding, John. Like they've got so many injured problems. Like the depth is really coming coming home to roost right now. Um, they, 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 they tried to uh, – just hang on for dear life in that game and really didn't do enough on offense to ice it, but they had probably two or three chances to really ice that game and, and put Nebraska to, you know what, they would have been three and five. So we'll see. I mean, this, this series has been weird. The the team that has been expected to win has not always won the Nebraska Northwestern game since they, they joined the big 10. So, you know, but it's not like, uh, it's not like Memorial stadium in Lincoln has been a hard place uh, for Big Ten teams to go in and win at either. So I, I love our chances this weekend. I kind of feel like Justin Jackson is looking at this one and reading the tea leaves in terms of the defense and thinking, I can I can have a big senior game at more Memorial Stadium. I think, you know, you may see something big out of him in this one. That, I mean, from a, from a uh, game plan standpoint, I would expect us to go to the run I mean, you know, you'd, you'd think that we have had more opportunity um, passing the ball, but I, you know, in the re, in the couple recent games, but yeah, I, I would expect us to, to go back to, to what we saw, you know, more earlier in the year of, of run first, pass second, given how bad this D, this D is. It's interesting uh, looking at the uh, weather, 60, gonna, should be 63 degrees, partly cloudy, um, which is wonderful i mean i i hate having a bad weather game or or the monsoon come in and 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 muck things up i mean you with 63 degrees you're gonna you're gonna be set uh, at least as far as the weather goes assuming there's no wind uh but memorial stadium's a, a bowl so you don't really get like a, a stiff wind going through uh going through that barn um over under 52 and a half so they're they're Vegas is expecting some uh, some points in this one. I would not be surprised to see seventeen ten for the third week in a row. Right? <laughs> might, might I note that Iowa won seventeen ten last week after losing to us by the same score the previous week, and that we really should have beaten Michigan State seventeen ten in regulation, um, and that would have just been that might have been too much for the football gods to stomach. I just I don't. I, I haven't seen any evidence yet this season that Iowa can hold. I mean, that Nebraska can hold up their half of that over under. I just who have they scored points against? This offense hasn't scored points against anybody unless we count forty three against Arkansas State. I just don't. I don't know. I, I, I mean, maybe it's just that there are so many Husker fans and they're they place a lot of bets. I, I don't know. I don't understand any of this. But it'll be um, really interesting to watch what happens on Friday and early Saturday morning with the line, if it swings, because uh, right. then you know that all the sharps were like cash in on, on wildcat nation. Right. Uh, so elsewhere around the big 10, you've got uh, Penn state at Michigan state, Michigan state trying to uh, both, both teams trying to lick their wounds after last weekend's games. Um, you know, Penn state dropping that heartbreaker to Ohio state, you know, last minute comeback by the Buckeyes. Uh, happened at the same time as our game so i the, all of that i got to see was what they showed on the jumbotron in, in live look-ins during breaks um i watched i watched the very end um i think you know we expected penn state to be in a lot of uh shootouts this year john you documented well their defensive issues and i think some of those cracks started to show in this game um jt barrett was was really excellent in general, but coverage was a problem. And in spots of the game that you wouldn't think it would be a problem. Like I I think basically the speed and athleticism uh, across the board for Ohio state just gave Penn state problems. They didn't have the horses. Um, the, the, you know, I, I watched the, what the last two drives, 
um, for Ohio State and, you know, heard a lot of folks talking about the game and, and pretty much everyone to a T said, look, Ohio State was probably the better team start to finish. They just, they had a couple of miscues early on and then um, there were there were a couple of, of potentially questionable ref issues, especially one pass interference at the end zone, which I don't understand how a defensive player can can cause pass interference after intercepting the ball, but that's basically what they called. So, um, I, odd that Ohio State would get jobbed at home by the refs, but um, it's a weird it's a weird world, guys. Uh, so, a- any thoughts on the Penn State at Michigan State? I mean, I, I think uh, Michigan State. You know, we we talked about after after our game, they've got Penn State and or they yeah Penn State and Ohio State in back to back weeks. So, um, you know, their their season could really fall back. They could come back to earth uh, after flying so high after beating Michigan. Um, Barkley versus Bocce is pretty interesting. Um, but I'll say this: if if Michigan State couldn't contain our receiving core and Clayton Thorson, I don't know how they're going to contain. Trace McSorley and those receivers, especially like the way they, they're able to use Barkley in space in the passing game. Yeah, part of me wants to say that, that Lewerke versus McSorley could be like a really exciting thing, but I I just have felt that Michigan State has been overrated for so long. And I, I just, if you, yeah, I think if you just step back and look at these two teams, I just think Penn State is way better. Uh, Wisconsin at Indiana. You know, Wisconsin uh, checking in at number nine on the initial uh, playoff rankings. Um, a lot of people think that they're being slighted. You know, they are undefeated. They're in the Big Ten, but you know, their best win is against us. They have a terrible schedule, and so interesting. Jonathan Taylor uh, got knocked out of the game last week with an injury, and they they really struggled to score more points on Illinois after he left. If he's um, limited or unable to play in this game against Indiana, um, look out. I mean, Indiana has been close so many times this year to, to getting one of these uh, kind of big upsets. This is a very important game. Uh, the It seems like it's not, and it might cease to be important really quickly. But like Scuzz says, Indiana's played good teams, or, or at least their last three teams, which include Michigan and Michigan State, really tight. If they were to spring the massive upset at home, it is very important. That's all I'll say. It is very important in the big scheme of things for the Hoosiers to pull off something really big here. That's all I'm going to say. I would watch this game if you're looking for an early game. Uh, You've got Illinois at Purdue. Nobody cares. Um, Go Purdue. (laughs) Uh, Ohio State at Iowa. Uh, I'm guessing that's going to be a romp, but uh, I don't think so. I know I, I Iowa. So. Iowa has this tendency to like show up to these big games. I mean, the that Penn State game earlier this season is uh, you know comes to mind. Exactly. You know, emotional letdown possibility for Ohio State. Um, it's on the road. It's at Iowa. It's going to be three thirty in the afternoon. It's probably well. Maybe it'll be nice uh, given the temp- temperatures you quoted yeah. earlier for Nebraska. Show, showing uh, AccuWeather forecast: fifty three degrees with a uh, chance of rain. There you go. Um, <laughs> and I, I mean, like, what's what's so clear? Like, JT Barrett played so great against Penn State, but what is so clear is that J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber are what makes this Ohio State team go. And they have not faced a linebacker like Josie Jewell yet this year, so. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I, I don't I don't think Iowa has the horses, particularly on offense, but um I think they'll at least keep it interesting for, for two to three quarters. Hey, Iowa already has a win in hand against future Big Twelve champion Iowa State. Maybe they just, <laughs> maybe they decide they want a Big Ten championship win to go with it, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Mar- I don't know that it would be a Big Ten championship anymore <laughs> if they won, but uh, you got Maryland at Rutgers. Pick'em game, or at least it was originally. Now it's Maryland by three. But I love it when when Vegas is like Rutgers is playing another terrible Big Ten team. We don't know what to do. Shrug emoji. <laughs> and uh, Minnesota, Michigan. Uh, what what's their trophy? Is that the old oaken bucket? No, no, it's the um the, the little jug. brown jug, the old, little, the little brown, brown jug. jug. Yeah, little brown jug game in Ann Arbor. 
Yeah, Minnesota's hot garbage this year. We 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 talked them up at the beginning of the season, and um, well, I think we talked up PJ Fleck and the possibility of of turning things around. But well, and like like they were just built for him, right? Like their running game is really good, et cetera, et cetera. But Connor Rhoda has just been not good at QB, and the the defense just can't make up for the offensive deficiencies, and they're just they're 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 at least a year away from being interesting in the Fleck era. Um, looking around the rest of the country, anything jumping out at you guys? Uh, Clemson at NC State, that, that's sort of, uh, top of mind. Um, Oklahoma, well, besides Bedlam, of course. Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. Ooh, Iowa State at West Virginia, yeah. like, look out. Va- that West Virginia team's just like, just like a, a dynamite stick waiting to go off. Like a really old dynamite stick. How old is Weir, Will Greer? Like 29, <laughs> a 29-year-old dynamite stick? I don't know. I, I'm just – so my hope is Oklahoma State needs to beat Oklahoma so that then when Iowa State beats Oklahoma State, they'll completely lower it over the whole rest of the Big 12. I'm so in on Iowa State. I just – it's fantastic. The parallels to 95 Northwestern are so similar. It truly is so rare in a major conference when a team that has been bad – and is expected to be bad is suddenly really good, and it's just it's just so awesome to watch. If you watch the the final interception, uh, the Kenny Hill's final interception in the TCU Iowa State game, the Iowa State players celebrated in a way that you so rarely get to see players celebrate. Guys just like dropping to the ground, you know, the moment the interception is, all the defensive guys just respond by dropping to the the ground they're so emotional it's just fantastic i mean i this these guys have been waiting you know 80 years for a season like this you've also got lsu bama um and vatech miami a couple games you know ranked games uh there's there's a number of interest like vatech miami is pretty interesting I mean, my, my, um, a lot of people think this is the week that that miami finally loses a game oh i do yeah, Vatech is better. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm pretty interested in UCF SMU. Um, it's at SMU, which might be the worst home field advantage in the entire country. But uh, you know, UCF has been just this juggernaut. Scott Frost is is you know is the the Tom Herman du jour uh, for 2017. But Chad Morris, former offensive coordinator at Clemson, has has really done a number on SMU. Um, they're a solid team. They've they're six and two this year. That's better than they've been in, in God knows how long. He might be building a case to be um, uh, a guy that gets looked at for some of these open jobs. Uh, you know, Florida, Tennessee, etc. So th- I, I'm sure that he has seen this as a as a huge statement game for his program and his you know personal um, performance. So uh, I, I look for SMU to take a run at UCF. I don't know if they've got the horses to do it, um, pun intended, but uh, we'll see. The most exciting thing, too, is is SMU is kind of roughly equidistant from Lincoln and Gainesville, and I think they've set up a death match at halftime where the Florida <laughs> AD and the Nebraska AD have a cage match, and whoever, whoever leaves the cage gets Scott Frost. Well, and, and just to kind of run down that rabbit hole a little bit, say you're Scott Frost. Um where where do you want to go? do you want to go back home to Nebraska or do you want to go to Florida where you can recruit Florida? I I look and see what are my other options. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I don't love either job. Obviously, Florida has a pipeline to way more talent, but then you're in that whole SEC meat grinder. I don't even I don't even know. I mean, both both fan bases are absolutely irrational. Yep. Yeah, I Florida's got to be hard to turn down though, right? I mean, as far as as far as jobs go, if you take out recent history, if you take out the the crazy fan base cuz let's be honest, like Nebraska fans are are uh are not easy to please either. I don't know. I mean, like the money you're going to get there and the re- like recruiting is we know that for a fact. Like recruiting is the whole game um well, in, hey, in college do, football. 
Do we know that the Florida State job is not going to be available? That, that, Jimbo might go. Jimbo's not going. Uh, Jimbo's that, not going. That no, that's, he might leave. That's oh. the, that's the thing. He might be like if you know if he has a shot at the Florida job or the A and M job. Oh, he wouldn't go. He wouldn't leave FSU to LSU go to Florida. Job. I mean, I don't know. Like if he thinks if he thinks they're going to can him, what three four four years after he won a national championship, which would be ludicrous. Um, given that his his quarterback is injured, like like Florida State fans are the worst. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I just I, there's this year. You know, every year has a lot of craziness on the coaching carousel, and we always get into it. We have a lot of fun with it. But, um, you know, last year we were we were looking at USC, Texas, uh, LSU, um, a variety of other jobs that we thought might be open. This year could be even crazier when you factor in that I think the NFL is going to make a run at James Franklin and I think the NFL is going to make a run at Jim Harbaugh or maybe Harbaugh is going to make a run at the NFL <laughs> I don't know which I don't know which way you want to slice that but I think I think there's a potential for like six high profile jobs to be open come season's and- end and does that does that even include Tennessee? Is that still a high no. profile job? No. I don't even know. Like UCLA, A and M, Florida. Um, there's the potential, you know, for for Florida State and Penn State. Um, there's the I mean, and if if Jimbo goes, he's probably going to one of these other big, you know, big programs. But um, then you've got Tennessee. You've got uh, oh, and Blake, Nebraska, who I, who I forgot to mention a minute ago. Like, there's just. There's some there's some craziness out there this the year. The nine the 1990s all stars are lining up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to go back to your point about Harbaugh, it, it, it's interesting. You know the opportunities on the NFL side. I mean, he played in Indianapolis, and the Colts are firing their head coach. Um, and he played yep. in Chicago, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the Bears move on from John Fox. Hey, guess who the. Uh... I, the, I don't think the Bears would ever give him the control that he wants um, over rosters and such, but guess who his quarterback would be in Indianapolis? And I, I mean, I like that, like Jim Irsay is an owner that would, would do something out of the box, like just hand the keys to the Ferrari. Well, the keys to the jalopy to, uh, yeah, this, this is Indiana we're talking about here. Yeah. To, to Harbaugh and, uh, and luck and see what happens. Um, hey, here's another name. You know what? What's to say that Brian Kelly doesn't try to parlay this this season into an NFL gig? Yeah, that that's absolutely on the table. There, there's a lot. There's a lot of madness out there. Um, so who knows? Yeah, Harbaugh. Well, first of all, too, there's a really good chance that Michigan finishes eight and five this year. And if all of that happens, I don't think too many people are going to be just cursing if Harbaugh jumps town maybe not the fans but I think the administration would be pretty ticked. yeah absolutely yeah. Oh, oh for sure yeah for sure and they yeah. wouldn't be the, they would neither be the first nor the last administration to be mad at Jim Harbaugh I'll put I'll put it this way there are four guys that I or five guys I know for a fact are not going anywhere Urban Meyer unless he wins the national championship he ain't going anywhere uh Saban ain't going anywhere because of that Dabo ain't going anywhere um Pat Fitzgerald ain't going anywhere and I forgot the fifth. Oh, Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart ain't going anywhere. So um, outside of that, hell, anything goes. I don't know if Mark Richt is going anywhere just yet. That's probably true. That's probably true. Mark Richt, uh, Lincoln Riley ain't going anywhere. No. Her- Herman is is staying put. Um, not 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 to shoot holes in your in your wonderful analogy there, um, but yeah, no, it's it's true. The, the, the coaching carousel is always interesting, and especially. You know, you you start seeing the uh, the writing on the walls now that we're in November. Um, you know, just a few more weeks until it really starts firing up. Um, yeah, really, four more weeks right right after Thanksgiving is pretty much Black Monday, right? Hey, there's uh there's one more game. I just I just got to briefly yeah mention. hit it. Um, the Kansas Jayhawks are one and seven, zero and five in conference. They're horrible. They're eight point underdogs this weekend at home, Kansas. To Baylor. I bet. <laughs> I beg you. I beg you, Kansas. Bring your. Bring everything you got. Put it all out on the field this weekend. I know. You, Come you on. cannot. You cannot allow your opponent to get their first win of the season. Don't Ma- be. 
Don't be the weak link that breaks the goose egg chain. Come on, Kansas. Make it happen. <laughs> uh, real quick, before we get out of here, I uh, do want to mention that the preseason AP basketball poll came out. Uh, featuring for the first time ever, checking in at number 19 in the country, your own Northwestern Wildcats. I'm so excited and I'm so scared. I know the hope, the hype has started to get really terrifying. Oh my God, I'm so scared. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I love that we're getting the respect and I don't know how to deal with that. Um, cause this is absolutely the, the, like, Everything happened and everything's in front of us. And this is totally when we just lay an egg and take uh, like two steps backwards. Cause like Brian McIntosh gets hurt early and everything dissolves. I, yeah, (laughs) shut my mouth. Let's, you know, we'll, we'll start talking hoops probably next week or the week after. Um, we got, you know, some. Players to look at, you know, Aaron Falzon coming back, Rapolis Ivanuskas, uh, you know, we haven't seen him play at all. Um, yeah, that, you know, it, it's going to be a fun team to watch uh, at Allstate Arena uh, for the year. And then uh, we'll see where it goes. But yeah, um, 19 in the AP poll. That's that's some lofty sights. I, I mentioned last week uh, how high we were in the Kempom rankings. Um, yeah, that it's weird to wrap your head around that, you know, we're one of the top teams in the big 10 going in. It is. It's crazy. And already what only a week and a half until the start of the season, I'm going to get me down to all state arena and watch a couple. Uh, so with that, let's leave it there and uh, continue our search for the Swoley grill. So uh, for my final thought, we um, we haven't had any updates on our little on our little oh, pick 'em challenge for there, the there's year. There's a reason for that. Uh, <laughs> I think maybe I've been trying to spare y'all's feelings because I'm kicking your butts. Um, at this stage, uh, I have 33 wins. John and Sam are tied with 28. And that, that's before I've tallied last weekend's games. Um. I did. Uh, I did go and, and double check um, how many of our teams were adversely affected by various hurricanes and stuff. And right now, uh, Sam, you and I are the only two who have uh, lost a potential win in South Florida and Florida State. Um, fear not, though, guys, because we're all we're all projected to end uh, within you know four points of each other in the mid forties. So um, you still have hope to catch back up. I think. Uh, Obviously, Sammy, your Florida State. Pick yeah, that, that's is, um, killing me. Really stinging the nostrils. Uh, Re- and John, really wishing you know, I, Texas hasn't done a lot for you. Yet. Really wishing I'd gone well, to Colorado I, State there instead. But I, I, ha- I am, however, inspired by the play of Florida Atlantic, the Fighting Kittens, four and zero in Conference USA. I just. Boy, if there's anything that warms my heart, it's the inspiring play of Lane Kiffin's boys week after week. Let me tell you. My teams all have six or seven wins, um, and I don't – I mean, outside of Notre Dame, I don't know that any of them are going to be, like, barn burners at the end of the year. Um, I was hoping to get more out of South Florida, and they've dropped a couple. But, uh, yeah, this, this it'll be fun down the stretch. I think it's probably going to end up being closer than it is right now. For my final thought, I just want to highlight two uh, of the other Northwestern fall sports teams, uh, f- the field hockey team and the women's soccer team. Both play Friday – uh, I think the field hockey team plays Michigan at uh, in Michigan in East Lansing at 10 a.m. and the women play uh, Wisconsin in Indiana. The the women's soccer team plays Wisconsin in Indiana at 2:30 p.m. Both in the semifinals of their respective Big Ten tournaments. So both of them are two games away from a Big Ten title. So go ahead, ladies, get it done. For my final thought, um, some bad news from the NFL. Uh, Trevor Simeon uh, has been relegated to second string after uh, another really abysmal performance uh, against Kansas City last Monday night. Um, He's looked decent at times, but made some just horrendous decisions, throwing three just awful 
awful interceptions. Um, I saw one stat that anytime he was under pressure, he just completely falls apart. Uh, If you give him a clean pocket, he's great. But, uh, yeah, that's with the state of Denver's offensive line. That's just not happening. So, uh, Simeon is going to second string. Uh, Brock Osweiler is taking over, uh, at least until Paxton Lynch is healthy. We'll see what happens as we go. But uh, you really got to wonder, you know, what, what Trevor's future is in Denver, at least. Um, you know, I, he's, he's got, you know, he's proven that he can be a, a decent NFL player. Is, is he a starter? I, maybe. But uh, he, he could definitely be a backup somewhere. I think he's proven that he's he is NFL material. I think, like you said, he was very bad the last couple of games, but that he is by no means the only one no, on that offense. No. <laughs> it it is a bad situation on that offense, and I think Brock Osweiler is going to be in not much of a better situation. But uh, I do think, yeah, I think Trev. I think I read some articles today that speculated that there's a really good chance the Broncos are going to re-sign him, whether they plan on starting him or not just that I think there's a feeling that he understands the scheme that he works hard um and I I do think that Trev is a at the least a prototype backup quarterback he's the kind of guy who's going to study the system and give you exactly what you want and yeah you put him in the right situation and he's going to shine so here's hoping that he gets his job back in Denver but even if that doesn't come out I think you know he's he's gonna have other opportunities I think there's a real. I think there's a really good chance that he starts against the Patriots in two weeks, or against the Bengals in three after uh, Osweiler crashes and burns spectacularly. I hope so. Um, Gotta give him all the credit in the world. You know, he met with the media today. You know, th- it was announced this morning that he was going to be uh, demoted, and you know, he could have very easily pulled a Cam Newton and uh, avoided the media completely. But to his credit, he sat there. He took all the questions. He answered them very thoughtfully. Um, you know, he's a consummate pro. Uh, he, you know, he understands it's a business. He understands he hasn't been playing well. And, you know, the, the coaching staff has their job to do too. Sure, he's disappointed. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, he, he understands that it, it's part of the game. And, you know, if you're not producing on the field, you can't stay on it. And, you know, I'm the biggest Trevor fan that, that there is. And, you know, even I was thinking, like, he, he, something's got to change. He's got to take a little time, refocus, and, you know, see if he can come back. I don't know if he's still a little banged up or whatnot. But, um, you know, we'll see this weekend uh, Osweiler against the best team in the NFL, potentially, in Philadelphia. Uh, in Philadelphia. So that'll be that'll be ugly. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that, that's, that's definitely a bummer on the, on the Trevor Simeon front. Yeah, not, not to end the podcast on a downer, but, uh, that is just about it for this week. Uh, you can go ahead and head to our website, westlotpirates.com to leave comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter at westlotpirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And as always, you can email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Scousboy and Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.